4: black star network is here a real uh,
0: revolutionary right now support this man black media he makes sure that our stories are told
4: Today is Friday, April 1st, 2022. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Oscar producer, my alpha brother, Will Packer, is speaking publicly about what happened at the Oscars on Sunday. Uh, we'll show you what he said regarding uh, the slap uh, by Will Smith uh, against Chris Rock, about also the L.A. police being ready to arrest Will Smith and... Who actually wanted Will to stay to accept his best actor? Is the Academy lying? Will breaks it down in an exclusive with TJ Holmes of Good Morning America. Kansas City civil rights groups have long known their police department had high incidents of violence against black, Latino people and racist hiring practices. The groups even call for a Department of Justice investigation, now an investigation, by the local newspaper has proof. Tonight, we'll talk with the president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Kansas City and will tell us what happened to their plea to the DOJ. An investigative report uncovers how many police departments across the country use COVID relief funds to fund their operations. But it's supposed to be for COVID. We'll talk to the journalists who followed the money. March proved to be an excellent month for job creation, but what did it look like for African-Americans? You hear from Cecilia Rouse, chair of President Joe Biden's Council of Economic Advisers. Also, the House voted to decriminalize marijuana at the federal level. Republicans in the House also blocked the, na- the naming of a courthouse of the first black Supreme Court justice in Florida. I told y'all they don't like black people. And the United States issues a warning to South Sudan for not adhering to the 2018 peace agreement with Sudan, who will have a Sudanese human rights activist who happens to be a former child slave give us an update on what's happening in between those two countries. And two black students at Georgia State University, satellite campus, apparently got escorted out of class by campus cops being two minutes late. Uh, we got problems here, at Georgia State, in our education matter segment. We'll talk to Georgia's candidate for state superintendent. Folks, it's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on
3: it. Whatever it is.
4: a new report reveals a pattern of racial malpractice within the Kansas City Police Department rank. Some 25 current and former black officers with the KCPD describe a police department littered with discrimination, racist abuse, and a system that pushes black officers out of the department while keeping the top brass primarily white. Officers say their accounts are backed by department emails, internal police memos, legal documents, lawsuits and videos. Uh, This report was done uh, by the Kansas City newspaper. Now now several uh, human and civil rights organizations in the Kansas City area want the Department of Justice to investigate. Gwen Grant, president and CEO of the Urban League of Greater Kansas City, joins us from there. Glad to have you here. Uh, So uh, walk us through this. Uh, Y'all have been, of course, uh, complaining about these things for years, but to have uh, your newspaper break it down uh, certainly is a little hard for them to now ignore.
6: You're absolutely right, Roland. And uh, thank you for having me uh, on to talk about this very important issue in Kansas City. We started looking uh, at the Kansas City Police Department in 2019, actually, because we had uh, become aware of numerous cases of excessive and deadly force. Uh, constitutional violations, patterns of systemic violations including police-involved shootings with no accountability, biased and unreasonable uh, searches and seizures, and racism inside the police department that is, has been uh, documented over time and shared within the civil rights community by officers on the force who were afraid of re- for uh, fear of retaliation or being uh, left out in the field Uh, and putting their lives at risk. So what we found is just a a consistent uh, degree of patterns and practices that we consider to be severe civil rights violations. Uh, We submitted a letter to the Department of Justice in July of 2021 requesting that they uh, do a patterns and practices investigation of the Kansas City Police Department. Um, We've got a bad situation here in Kansas City, and the STAR report pretty much just, uh, elevated what we've known to be going on for several years.
4: So, what is the reaction from the city? What are elected officials saying?
6: Well, that's one of the major problems we have. We... The Kansas City is one of... is the only major, uh, city in the United States that does not have local control of its police department. So, basically, what we have, we're in a 21st century colonialism situation where the governor appoints the police board uh, we have no Redress with regard to any of the challenges we find within the Kansas City Police Department because that board is Appointed by the governor and only accountable to the governor. Okay. Hold on. So wait. We... Wait.
4: Wait. Wait. wait, Okay. Hold on I'm, 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 I'm trying to say <laughs> look I've covered mm-hmm. city. I've covered city government. I've covered county government in multiple cities Who hires the police chief?
6: The police board, the board that the governor appoints, but oh, but Roland, it gets worse. We pay the taxpayers. Pay we fund the police department over which we have no control. A, so wait, we wait, hold fund, on, wait,
4: hold on, hold on, hold on again. Somebody, I said colonialism. Okay, okay hold rolling. on. I'm trying. I'm trying to follow <laughs> this here. So, a so you you have a city council in Kansas City. Yes. You have a mayor and a city council. Yes. Okay. Um, who are elected by the people? Yes. Okay. You've got a police board appointed yes. by the governor that oversees the police department. Yes. Are the people on the police board all from Kansas City?
6: Yes, they are, but... So this that's another important point. They are from Kansas City. But the governor, uh, historically, we we looked at that and we found that the governor, all governors, be they Republican or Democrat, these governors have appointed primarily white men who live in the Brookside area or west of Truce, which is basically we have this racial dividing line in Kansas City, uh, Truce Avenue. On the east side of Truce is where you find uh, concentrated African-American uh, p- uh, residents, living there. And it's where, you know, it's it's the racial dividing line. So it's ca- like a city divided east and west of truth. Life looks totally different. East side is black. West side is predominantly white, uh, upper middle class and above. So the governor appoints uh, primarily white male and female attorneys uh, to, re- uh, to the uh, police board. We get one seat on that board who is the mayor. Uh, that's the, so he appoints four of five members. One is the mayor. Our mayor right now happens to be black, uh, but unfortunately our mayor is also not uh, been showing up in a manner that we want him to show up on our behalf with regard to the police department. But yeah, so the, and the governor appoints lawyers. Most of the, the appointees of the governor, the white appointees are attorneys, which makes sense. You're appointing people to serve, Uh, and to govern over a law enforcement body, it makes sense that you would appoint an attorney. But when governors have chosen to, on the rare occasions when they have chosen to appoint an African American, they've like to appoint preachers, uh, educators, folks who are not necessarily uh, able to hold their own in that context on that board with all of these people uh, who are are lawyers. And I I find that to be insulting that you're going to put uh, surround you know put lawyers on a board that is to govern over law enforcement and then to represent the black people ask the the local senator here the person who was senator at the time uh, I I want to appoint a black preacher to the to the uh, police board that kind of stuff happens here
4: so let's so this is the so it's called the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners correct yes Yes. Okay. Go to my computer. We have a
6: black chair right now. Right. So I'm, I'm looking <laughs> yeah. at it right now.
4: So mm-hmm. uh, Mark Tolbert, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, your, to your point, Bishop mm-hmm. Mark Tolbert, Bishop Mark Tolbert. Uh, mm-hmm. is uh, was appointed by Governor Greitens uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Then you have Kathy Dean. She's the vice mm-hmm. president. Uh, mm-hmm. We have uh, Dan Wagner. Uh, first of all, uh, Kathy Dean um, is, uh, let's see, what the hell does she do? Uh, she's a retired she, attorney. Right. She's a significant courtroom experience guy. we got Commissioner Don Wagner, who is a private investor. Uh, we've got uh, Dawn Kramer, uh, who, who worked in the airline industry and uh, is in the financial services industry. Uh, and then we have the mayor, Quentin Lucas, the secretary of the board. He's is uh, David Kenner. Um, and he was an instructor with the Henry W. Block School of Management. Uh, dealing, he was a, previously, he was actually he's a law, former lawyer. So, so we got one white guy, one black guy, black, white woman, white man, white woman, and uh, a black board. So. Yeah. Um, so, this is the story, folks, that uh, started this. It was in the, um, again, Kansas City uh, Star. Uh, headline Racism in the KCPD. There's no thin blue line for black officers. Star investigation finds. Since this came out four days ago, um, what exactly is um, Bishop Tolbert saying?
6: Well, you know, nothing. So we, neither the bishop nor the mayor, have made a statement condemning these racist practices inside the police department since the story ran. Period. Neither of the two black people who serve on that board have spoken up with outrage about this racism inside the police department. And that's really quite concerning that, you know, we we happen to have two black people on the board, but they seem to be um, unable to um, speak up and speak out against racism.
4: So Kansas City, um, know it well. My um, late grandmother, great-grandmother uh, lived there. I'm my, my late aunt. My uncle and uh, his wife still live there. Um, Kansas City is 30% black. Yes. Uh, go back to my computer, please, folks. Uh, this is the graph that is there in, uh, the, in the Kansas City Star paper. Uh, the police chief is white. Of uh, the five deputy chiefs, one is black. Of 21 majors, three are black, 14.2%. Of the 50 police captains in the department, only three are black, that's 6%. Of the 223 sergeants, 25 are black, 11.2%. Of the 32 homicide detectives, three are black, 9.3%. Of the 22 assault detectives, three are black. 13.6 percent of the 213 detectives, 17 are black, 7.9 percent of the 1,144 sworn officers, uh, only 133 are black, that is 11 percent. So, in a city that is almost 30 percent black, uh, only 11.6 uh, percent of the officers, and this is what's interesting here, y'all, um, it's 11.6 today in 1998 it was 12.3 so in um really uh, in 14 or so ye- in 24 years they've actually dropped
6: yes you're absolutely right and it's it's a tragic situation so the the problem also um goes to the type of leadership the outgoing police chief who started in 2017 uh we just you know, was flat-out racist, and we called for him to be removed. Uh, we, we said that he should be terminated. We couldn't get that done in the manner that we had hoped with the two black members of the Board of Police Commissioners. We asked them to, hey, stand up for the people, call for this man to be fired, and work to get the third vote. And neither of them would bring that motion because they said, well, we're not going to bring a motion that we can't win. And we said, you know what, show us that you care, go public, call for the motion, and and, and put these other people on spot to vote it up or down. Uh, so basically, we just kept applying pressure to this uh, police chief who refused to provide uh, probable cause statements uh, to the prosecuting attorney's office in any instances when officers were involved in excessive and deadly force uh, incidents. He, uh, His department would—they killed three black men, unarmed black men, in the past 12 months When uh, prior to our submitting the letter for the DOJ investigation. And in each of those cases, when those uh, excessive force cases took place, this chief would have those officers back on duty with weapons while these cases were being investigated, within 10 days of, of, of a police-involved homicide. In less than 12 months, they killed three unarmed black men. And they were still able to stay on, on the force and be paid. Uh, he in, in the case when they do kill black people, he also uh, would allow for them to investigate the decedent and, and provide evidence against a dead person to the prosecutor before they even fully investigated the incident itself. So, we've got a really bad situation here, and we have no redress because we do not have local control of our department. And that's why we need the DOJ to come in and conduct this patterns and practices investigation.
4: You showed. I'm trying to understand. I'm I'm trying to understand this here. So, because look, I've talked about what's happening in St. Louis as well. And and, and let me be real clear Missouri is weird as hell with some of these in terms of how the legislature, how they've actually passed different laws. So... How many other cities in Missouri do not control their own police department?
6: None, we're the only one in Missouri. Wait, 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 stop,
4: stop, wait, 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 wait. We're
6: the only one.
4: Kansas City, Missouri is the only city in Missouri where the city doesn't control its own police department that the, the governor, So, not even St. Louis, you're the only one that the governor appoints a board to control the police department?
6: Yes, but we fund them, though, $269 million a year.
4: Does the state fund the police department? No.
6: The city funds our tax dollars. I actually have a suit pending. I am suing... On behalf of the taxpayers in Kansas City, I am suing the Board of Police Commissioners and uh, the City Council and the tra- uh, uh, the City Manager, all bringing forth a suit under what the what's called the Hancock Amendment, in Missouri, that I, as a taxpaying citizen, can make this case hopefully and prevail in in uh, the courts. Well, what we cannot get done at the state legislature is that we can get at least control over. The budget and the spending of the department that we fund. So I have a lawsuit pending uh, on behalf of the people to try to make that happen.
4: Uh. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I'm. I'm. I, in the Star story, it says that uh, President of the Board Mark Tolbert, the Bishop, he has. He did not respond to any request. Um, only Commissioner Kathy Dean responded. The mayor No one else responded. Um. Um, obviously, the paternal order police they ain't got the damn thing to say. uh so, what else are y'all doing there? or have have, have y'all organized community town halls? Have y'all asked uh first of all, w- w- has, when does the police board meet?
6: so we they meet on uh, the second Tuesday of every month, and we've we actually shut down one of the police board meetings uh, uh, last year sometime last year. We shut the meeting down. Uh, to bring our concerns before the board uh,
4: I, I, they- I I think frankly y'all need to shut them down every tuesday every 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 month I mean this you is know, i mean i i would right. I, mean, I, I, I think i mean if if I'm in Kansas City, I'm like, yo, we're gonna shut y'all down every single month until you address this issue. y'all ain't moving on any of this and and I'll be perfectly honest' cause i'm i i'm I, I'm like that um Bishop couldn't have service.
6: Well, you know, see, me and you are on the same page, page, Roland, because the fact that the two black officers, you know, we got white people on that board, but when you, first off, they already know about how this police department has killed, we have the, our police department is ranked in the top five worst police departments in the country. On average, they kill three unarmed black men a year with impunity. And then this article comes out that further tells the story of how they are racist in the department. They they profile their own black officers. And one, that one, one of the stories that was released on Sunday, they profile black officers. So if you're a black man sitting on a board like this, how do you keep your mouth shut after that article comes out? How can you not have anything to say? And to add insult to injury, the mayor, who we, uh, you know, we supported him trying to take some control over the spending, over the funding of the police department where the state mandate requires the city to provide 20% of its general operating budget to fund the police department. They last year found, got into a, a, a lawsuit issue with the city and the between the city and the board of police commissioners because the mayor found an ordinance to try to take control of the amount of funding that they provided the department that's over and above the 20% mandate. We backed him with that. We held a press conference on the steps of City Hall backing that move. They ultimately lost in court because, frankly, I don't think they hired the best law firm to represent them. Uh, But anyway, they lost that case. And I filed a motion to intervene in that case on behalf of the of the people. My motion to intervene was dismissed, which led to me ultimately, ultimately filing the lawsuit that I have pending right now. But we did all of that to support this mayor. And then last week, the mayor coalesced with the uh, chief of police and the board of police commissioners to draft this ordinance to give them $33 million above the 20% mandate and not take local control over that spending, as we all fought for and tried to get them to do. So we, you know, we we are being misrepresented uh, as, as what we said today to the mayor. We had a meeting today to call out our concerns about this mayor. When you talk about, you know, shutting down a church service, well, we have a collective of of community-based organizations and civil rights organizations. We meet every Friday morning at 8.30 in an Urban Summit meeting, and we took the the mayor to task in that meeting this morning, and he'll have an opportunity to come back next week and and, uh, rebut or at least try to challenge it. But we are just tired of not being fully represented by our people. You know, we feel that this mayor, we've been hoodwinked, uh, bamboozled, and misled by this man. And it's a shame to have two black people on a board and they can't speak up about racism and discrimination on Mm. behalf of the people that they are there to represent. It's
4: unconscionable. Well, um, what we'll we'll do is um, uh, we will uh, put calls into the mayor's office to get him on the show uh, to respond uh, to this article. Uh, We'll also reach out to uh, Bishop Tolbert uh, and... um, He'll get a call every single day. Uh, and
6: they'll tell you it's a personnel issue and they can't discuss
4: w- it. Well, actually, that's a lie. That's a lie. Uh, that, that, that's a lie. Uh, as somebody who's covered, county, who've covered city government, uh, that's a flat-out lie. Uh, I've had numerous interviews with police boards, uh, with elected officials, with appointed officials, and so that is a lie. And so, fine, if they don't talk, then they're going to get a phone call every day. Uh, so certainly, uh, let us know. Uh, I would love. I would love to know if uh, if y'all decide to organize uh, a citywide will... a citywide town hall um, uh, to address this issue. Uh, so certainly. Well, keep us...
6: let me ask you this: If we organize a city uh, a citywide town hall, will you come in and and uh, moderate that with me, or yeah, for engage our community? That's well, not a if problem. Will help me with that. We'll get that done because that's we need. A We need sunshine on this issue in Kansas City. Uh, One last thing about this local control issue that I will further irritate you is when we studied the history of this local control uh, or how we ended up with local control, this was born out of a Confederate governor, a governor who uh, decided at the beginning early uh, in the Civil War that he needed to take control of the two police departments in the state and where they had the highest concentration of black people. That was St. Louis and Kansas City. Many people here think that the state took local control of the department because of there was a Pendergast era where there was a lot of corruption in, in, uh, in city government and in Kansas City, but it actually is based in uh, the perpetuation and to protect the institution of slavery. And it was only targeted for the cities with high concentration of African-Americans. So this situation here is really bad. We need you here to help us with it, Roland.
4: Well, this simple. Uh, y'all suit uh, us two or three dates. Uh, I'll look at the date to see how that uh, corresponds with my uh, calendar. Uh, and then once we settle on the date, then we do it.
6: We'll hook it up. I appreciate okay. that. All right, we'll follow up with that.
4: All right, I all appreciate right. it. Gwen Grant, thanks a lot.
6: Thank you for having
4: me. All right, right, to bring in my panel right now. First of all, the KCPD did issue a statement. They said, "quote We have mechanisms in place." to ensure that members can report any incident of discrimination or racism anonymously, and we take every incident of reported racism very seriously and investigate fully whether <laughs> it involves department members or the members of the community. Kelly Bethes communication strategist Michael Imhotep is host of the African History Network show. Matt Manning, civil rights attorney. Matt, what, what do you make of this? Uh, it, it, first of all, the fact that you have a law where the governor is appointing members of a police board and the city people who are elected do not control is a problem it's a
7: huge problem especially as it goes to accountability because as we've talked about on this show many times you know you vote out people who aren't doing their job so the idea that the local citizens don't even have control over their police department is absurd but beyond that, I mean, the story that I read was chronicling a an undercover officer who was determined to be an undercover officer by some of his fellow officers, a Black officer, and he was berated by them and concerned that he was going to end up being hurt by making contact with his own officers. So the idea that this is a persistent problem in this department and that it's been overlooked for years is incredibly concerning, and I think this is exactly the kind of circumstance where DOJ should come in and do a patterns and practice investigation to really see what's going on and, as Gwen said, put some sunshine on this issue, because if there's 30 percent Black people in a community and you have paltry numbers in the police department, then there's not enough to really galvanize support to make sure that those officers are being supported the way they should be. And it's happening in broad daylight, and the governor is allowing it to happen on his watch, particularly because there's no local control. So I hope DOJ comes in and does an investigation, because this is precisely
4: right for it. Uh, Kelly, this is the type of stuff, as you heard Gwen lay out, when you go back to the law, and I'm always trying to explain to people how we are still impacted today by Mm -hmm. Jim Crow um, laws. Today. When people say, oh, that stuff was so long ago... No, 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 no. But that law is still in in effect today.
8: No, you're absolutely right. Uh, I'm sorry, it was a little delayed. No, you're absolutely right. The the fact that, you know, this is happening in 2022 should be no surprise to anyone, unfortunately. But it also goes back to the notion of how blue lives mattering is a joke because there's no such thing as a blue life and it doesn't apply to black people unless you conform to the whiteness um, and the powers that be so for me it's it's it goes back to not only the notion that blue lives don't matter because blue lives don't exist but it also goes back to uh, all skin folk and kinfolk like, you just heard her say how you have Black people in power who could do something, voice something, and nothing is happening. So it, it it is imperative that people look into just, look into beyond whether the person is Black, look into their policy record, look into their voting record, actually participate in local politics so that things like this don't happen. Um, but you're absolutely right, this, the... The, the laws on the books are still in effect from the Jim Crow era, which is how and why things like this are still able to happen.
4: You know, it's just crazy reading this story, Michael. Uh, and yes. this is also why communities have to be mobilized, have to be organized and mobilized uh, to go up against this type of stuff. I'm actually texting uh, some frat brothers who are in Kansas City uh, right now, uh, g- getting their thoughts on this. And I- I- I'm sorry, if you're the president of the board and you're a black bishop, you need to be talking. Mm-hmm. I'm, no comment is simply, no comment is in is unacceptable to me.
2: Absolutely. Well, a lot of this is unacceptable, but definitely no comment is unacceptable when you have an African African American man who is uh, Bishop Talbert, I believe is his name, who uh, Mark Talbert, who uh, who's the chair of the board. But you know, reading this, Roland. I mean, I had so many questions. So, one of the things I was trying to figure out. Okay, so Civil War era law. This is one of the reasons why understanding the Civil War. And Reconstruction, that history is so important because it still impacts us today. But is that—is it written into the state constitution, or is it state law? That's that's one question I have. And the, one of the reasons why understanding that history is so important, how it still impacts us today, impacts the laws, is because if you go to Brunswick, Georgia, the uh, citizen's arrest law that the three white supremacists Used as a pre, as a to, to make up after the fact, after Ahmaud Arbery was killed. That citizen's arrest law dates back, to, dates back to 1863 when Georgia was part of the Confederacy, and there was a law to target runaway slaves who were running away from plantations in Georgia to run behind Union lines. So that legacy of the Civil War and Reconstruction is still with us today. This is why it's so important to understand history and law, because they intersect and they and they impact everything that we do. So, yeah, hopefully they get the DOJ involved in this. But the other thing I want to know is local TV news stations. I saw the article from the Kansas City Star. But local uh, Kansas City TV news stations, I wonder what type of pressure they're putting on the department. Because a lot of times you... The, um, the, that local news exposes a lot of this stuff and puts pressure on them to bring no, about uh, some up. No, uh,
4: no, absolutely, really. absolutely. And so uh, I'm actually about to text also uh, the brother who runs the Kansas City newspaper there uh and so uh to uh, get his thoughts on this as well so uh we're gonna uh, we'll definitely continue to cover this uh and uh give give folks uh, updates uh, on this particular story uh all right folks uh we gotta go to a break uh we come back we're gonna talk about what's happening uh in uh, south sudan why are we doing that because mainstream media want to focus only on ukraine We also going to talk about what's happening with black folks uh, in Africa, where you have a humanitarian crisis happening there as well. Folks, uh, you heard me say to uh, Gwen there that I certainly will come in uh, and, and I'll moderate the town hall and we'll actually broadcast that town hall this is precisely why it's important uh, for you to support roland martin unfiltered uh, i i literally i just went uh to our mailbox today all of this these are all uh checks and cards that 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 were in the mailbox i this all came in just this week uh and so when and these are all these are notes here that we uh read some of these we read of uh, people who've actually sent in stuff are already uh, and so now you understand when I'm talking about why it's important uh, for you to support what we do. I can guarantee you I was on the call today with our sales team, uh, we're putting lots of pressure on these advertisers uh, to drop the resources. I'm laying the things out all the time. And I've said to y'all, the numbers are clear. MSNBC makes about profit about seven hundred million dollars a year. Let me say it again. MSNBC's profit is around six to seven hundred million dollars a year. CNN's profit is one billion dollars a year. Fox News' profit, not revenue, profit, is 1.5 billion dollars a year. That's why they can have two and 300 correspondents and crews and cover people's stuff all across the world and send people all around the places and, and fly folks on private jets when it comes to breaking news. And a whole bunch of people out here claiming to be new black media, they don't cover the news. They talk about the news. They talk about what other people do. They talk about what other people are talking about. Well, our goal is to actually create the nation's largest Black newsroom to cover the issues that matter to us. And so your support is critically important. Uh, cash and money orders, uh, you can go to PO Box 57196, Washington, D.C. 20037. Cash app uh, is dollar sign, uh, uh, dollar sign uh, RM unfiltered. That's important. Please listen to me again dollar sign RM unfiltered. Uh, please d- don't lose sight of that because uh, we've got some folks out there. Uh, who are thieves? I'm going to show you their names in a second. Uh, but uh, PayPal is R. Martin Unfiltered. Uh, Venmo is R.M. Unfiltered. Zell is Roland at RolandS.Martin.com. Roland at RolandMartin Unfiltered.com. And so when you support us, uh, we of course uh, are supporting you. Uh, and so let me help you all out, y'all. I-, I have already reported these people to Cash App. Cash App responded to me. Um, these are individuals on right now on Cash App who are trying to steal from you. There's no reason in the world for these people to have Cash App names similar to this show. So you see uh, this Dr. Frank, RM Unfiltered, REB, this Jonathan Bravo or whatever, uh, RM Unfiltered with two L's, uh, Mr. Crimmins, RM unfiltered, took the E out unfiltered, and then this other one, this RM Upfiltered, and then this one here. So, these right here, these uh, individuals here um, are all fraudulent accounts. I want y'all to see this again. These are fraudulent accounts. If you're on Cash App, I want you to report these individuals i'm going to show you their names again later in the show but i want you to report every single one of these individuals because what they are doing is they are trying to steal from you they're trying to steal from the people who are supporting this show these are no good son of a bitches and i'm i got no problem because if you are using our name to steal then what you are trying to do is to steal from black people, uh, people who, who, who just might sit here and they'll see something and they think that's ours. Our Cash App, this is not our Cash App. None of these are. Ours is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. So please report every single one of these people. And I'm going to show it again later in the show. Got to go to a break. We'll be back on button Unfiltered.
5: I'm Deborah Owens. On the next Get Wealthy, meet Dr. Stacey McCoy, whose American dream became a nightmare because of student loan debt. Whether you're paying $300 a month or eventually I got up to $1,700 a month. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold that, hold that for just a minute. You were paying $1,700 a month on your student loans. Yes, and I know other people who are paying more than that. Learn the one piece of advice that made all of it go away right here on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network.
4: What, ten in here.
5: Ten, yeah. and you don't come out till you die. And you eat him. Oh you my energy.
4: God. So All right, folks, part five of our special from Ghana airs right after our show right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on, on of the Black Star Network. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. It's been phenomenal, phenomenal uh, series thus far. So you be sure as soon as we get done, stay with us to check out part five of our docuseries The Year of Return, 1619 to 2019. We'll be back in a moment. Pull up
2: a chair. Take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Godfrey, the funniest dude on the planet.
9: Hey, I'm
5: Taj.
4: According to the rare report, South Sudan's leadership is now not following parts of a 2018 peace deal. Now, the United States is threatening to impose more sanctions on those perpetuating the conflict. Joining me now is Simon Ding, a Sudanese human rights activist uh, who uh, is very familiar with what's happening there. Simon, glad to have you here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. I reached out to my man, Joe Madison. He passed me your name. Uh, you know, so much attention has been on the Ukraine uh, and what's happening there. Explain to our listeners and viewers uh, what, is, what is happening in uh, South Sudan. What's going on? Uh, is, is Simon, uh, is he frozen? Folks, is Sigma frozen? All right, y'all, y'all let me know. We have Simon back. Uh, I don't hear the voice. There, there you go, Simon. There you go. You're there. Go ahead. I hear you, but I don't hear you. Can you hear me, Simon? Simon, can you hear me?
1: Yes, I don't hear you, uh,
4: Okay, you can hear me now? Yes. Good. So explain to our folks watching and listening what's happening in, the, in South Sudan.
1: Rollins. what happened in Southern Sudan is a disaster. A disaster that the international community and the world in light turn a blind eye at the country that being created by the United States. In other words... Southern Sudan is the only country in East Africa that was created by the United States of America. If it wasn't the United States, we would not have a country, a younger nation in the world today that calls Southern Sudan. After two years of independence, the president of Southern Sudan, Salva Kiir Yadid, took the country into the war, the war that was worse than the war we fought with the North. In two years' time, Salvaki managed to slaughter a half a million southern Sudanese. Today, at the moment we're speaking, southern Sudan is the worst place on Earth, with six million southern Sudanese refugees, largest and biggest Refugees compare at the time when we were fighting for war of independence. You have two million Southern Sudanese refugees in Uganda. You have two million and a half went back to Sudan at the moment we're speaking. And millions between Ethiopia, Kenya, Central African Republics, and Congo. We have hundreds of thousands Southern Sudanese are being protected for eight years by the United Nations protection peacekeeper inside Southern Sudan, including Juba, Malacan, Wao, Jungle, even Bantu. It never happened in the history of the world where people are being protected in their own country by United Nations, and it happened in Southern Sudan. What are we talking about today? We're talking about Ukraine, yes. The suffering of every human being it is a concern of all of us southern sudan it is worse than syria it is worse than the ukraine when we're talking about this is the magnitude of the crime being created by the sitting presidents and the world turned a blind eye and by the way i has a living proof of being part of advocates who was fighting and making Americans get involved with Southern Sudanese to bring peace between the North and the South. I know for sure the United States have a moral obligations of a country they created. If it wasn't them, we would not have a country called Southern Sudan today. Probably if we were left being left in the hand of the North, we will be better off. A half a million that perish in two years under Kiir Mayardi, they would be alive. Imagine when you have two and a half million Southern Sudanese went back to the north, a place where they ran away for utilization of Islamization and Arabisation. But now they went back. It is a better place for them today, uh, and instead of being under the brutality of President Salva Kiir. That is what is happening in Southern Sudan.
4: Ob- obviously, it should pain you that you're seeing so much attention being pl- paid to Ukraine, folks raising money, offering scholarships uh, for students there as well. What do you want Americans, African Americans, the international community, What do? What are you telling them that they should be doing for the people in South Sudan?
1: Brother Aaron, if it wasn't the United States, we would not have a Southern Sudan today and especially the African-American. We have brothers who was part of helping Southern Sudanese. They still with us, people like Joe Madison and the others, even including in New York here, we have people like Al uh, Shapton who went with us to liberate the, 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 the slavery in, in, Southern, in Southern Sudan from the hand of the North back to the Southern Sudan. We have more we can do, as I said before, the world today have when to rescue Ukraine. Yes, I personally, I am volunteered to do something to help the Ukrainians. But why nobody is volunteered to do something for me, knowing that the refugees of Ukraine today will not be compared to the, the refugees in Southern Sudan? The killing of Ukraine today, it will not be compared to killing in Southern Sudan. In other words, we have to urge the United States, including the President uh, Biden, Ki have to be held accountable. You cannot replace seven million, six millions, kill two half millions. And then you are now trying to call yourself a legitimate president. People of Southern Sudan, they suffer in the hand of the Southern on um, the Southern Sudanese government in the hand of Ki, more than suffering that they, they were under the, the North.
4: Questions from my panel, Michael to take me first.
1: All right.
2: Uh, thanks, Brother Simon, for coming on and sharing this information with us. You know, this is um, this is really it, it's really important to cover this because there's so much coverage on Ukraine and it, it, there's so much devastation happening on the continent of Africa also that doesn't get covered. Can you just talk briefly about how the U.S. helped create South Sudan? We know South Sudan split from from Sudan. Okay. Yes. Uh, can you just talk briefly about that history because a lot of people don't don't know about this
1: you know when I came to this country I come purposely on to coming to come to people of America indeed uh, we did help we did got help from from, this, from from the capitals and especially under the times of President Bush in which I met mm-hmm. two times in the White House in which he assured me seeing the northern Sudanese blame the slavery on the war we are going to make peace. And indeed, he kept his promise. He kept everything he told to me in which the United States Congress passed the Sudan Peace Act, passed by the Senate, signed into law by the President of the United States, in which the the President of the United States designated a former Senator John Danforth to go to Africa to fight the peace between the Northern Sudanese and the Southern Sudanese. Led Colin Powell was part of the party who was pushed that peace, and that peace was being produced in Naivasha and Nairobi, which became known in Sudan as a comprehensive peace agreement. United States, because for him to have peace, they put $11 billion. These are the taxpayers in which that they have a responsibility. And I call it today. Southern Sudan is an American baby. And indeed, as I said, because I was there, if it was not the United States, we would not have Southern Sudan. After the independence, what happened? The U.S. walked away. Unfortunately, it happened during the administration of President Barack Obama, which is very unfortunately. We have people like Susan Reich. They were there. She was there with me in Cuba. I was one of the people who received her when he went there during the independence, in which that he let eloquently speak during the independence. But what happened after that? They wash their hands, they walk away, and then turn the country in, in the hands of people who not, not, don't know how to, to, to balance the books. Hmm. To run the country without accountability, the $11 billion dollars, we just give them to to appoint the President Kyiv with part of his administration. They went and stolen $4 billion, disappeared in the hands of individuals. And the U.S., you telling me that they should not hold people accountable by stealing the money that was given, not to them, for the people of Southern Sudan, to do the infrastructure, to, to be even to re- rehabilitate. People who suffer for 20, 25 years Nobody nobody hold them accountable. And unfortunately, Barack Obama let people of Southern Sudan down. Um,
4: Thank you. I'm going to go to uh, Kelly next. Simon, I think the light in your office went out. Uh, Yeah, let me me turn it on. Yeah, go ahead and turn it back on. So, uh, yeah. But uh, Kelly, go ahead. Uh, But when Simon comes back, be sure to ask your question. Uh, So I just want to make sure that uh, we're all good here. So. Give us one second. Right. Uh, Simon comes back. Um, again, folks, uh, it, critically, critically important information uh, that we uh, that we are getting because uh, all too often in the United States uh, there literally is no coverage. Of these issues yes. and, and all too often mm-hmm. again we, we, we have, if it's let's just be honest if it's a, if it's a white country all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's 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 a, of america's concern uh and so it is important that we shine the light uh on this uh, that's what claude barnett's uh negro associated press did back in the day uh with their news service and that's why it's important uh that our voices do the same and so i thank joe madison uh, for sending simon my way so there we go simon you're there uh kelly go ahead and ask yes. your question of simon
8: Yes, thank you um, for coming on the show. This entire situation mirrors very closely, at least to me, um, yet another example of failed nation building um, on behalf of the US. So with that said, um, do you think that this crisis is America's fault um, in total? or did America just exacerbate an issue that was already bubbling underneath the surface, uh, surface, um, so to speak? And in either situation, whether you think, you know, this country is completely at fault or whether we just contributed to the crisis, what steps need to be taken on behalf of this country to make sure that South Sudan is made as whole as possible?
1: And I have to give you my honest opinions and the honest answer. Yes, indeed. The United States created Southern Sudan in which they should have whole Southern Sudan to a point where they will be able to walk by themselves. They will be able to even to know how to balance the books by themselves. But unfortunately, the United States put itself or herself in a position of uh, uh, delivering a baby and hand it to the mom and walk away without even knowing what kind of uh, situation will emerge during uh, the, 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 after the birth. United States, as I said. For all those years, all the when atrocities being committed, we are talking eight years now. All they have to do always, threat, 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 talk, talk, talk. I don't believe in talk, talk. I believe in walk to walk. The way we did walk and create broad peace between the north and the south, the United States would have done that. Would have done that in a very simple way, by hauling those uh, rulers of Southern Sudan hey, you didn't come here by yourself. You came here with, with our help. And we help you not because of you. We help because of people of Southern Sudan. In other words, all these leaders of Southern Sudan, so-called leader, rulers, every, each person of them have a big mansion in Nairobi, have a big mansion in Kampala. And people like John Fanegas, George Cooney, They document all these things, but no action being taken on the top of the country, on the leadership of people who created Southern Sudan. They documented what atrocity being committed. They documented how might the resources being looted by the president. Mm -hmm. And then when they're always trying to take action, what will they do? Sanctions just (laughs) the doorkeepers, sanction the bodyguard, why not sanctioning President Kir himself? The man that happened to be part of the problem, he created a war in 2013 by calling that there is a coup, which was not. The African Union made a commission led by the former president of Nigeria, Obasanjo. The result was there to, 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 to everybody's eyes. There was no coup. It was Salva King himself, created a problem to divest that, because some of his leader in his own party was holding him to telling that no, we are going to go for elections. Then you will not be, you will not, you will, you will not be elected, and that's all. But he wants to stay in power, and then who pay the price? Half a million die was killed by him. The slaughter, which is being identified by the United Nations as a genocide, in 2013 when. The, 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 the unit under the President Kir Bodyguard went on slaughtered slaughter one ethnic groups near in Juba, door by door. Up to today, we have those who run, who escape, that are being protected by the United Nations in Juba. Where did we ever hear that there are citizens being protected by a foreign country in their own country because they are afraid of their own government? Salva Ki, it is not a leader of people of Southern Sudan. Salva is the leader of the tribe. Salva even went beyond by turning on my ethnic group, the Shulu Kingdoms, taking our land and giving it to the Dinka tribes. With today, the entire Shulu Kingdom, the oldest kingdom in, in Sudan and Southern Sudan. We are now in the Northern Sudan. There is no single one especially in my entire family in Southern Sudan. We are in the North. In the North, in a situation where you cannot even look at yourself as a human being. Because we are not being considered as citizens, we are refugees, we have no being employed. Southern Sudanese kids, our kids, our nieces, selling their body in the street in Khartoum because of Salpaki. These men, I'm begging the U.S., the U.S. have to look in their conscience and hold these men accountable of the crime that he committed on innocent people, people that he denied the dividend of peace. We brought the independence of that country. We fought for that country for independence. After we, we got the independence, what would happen? Salva Ki become the most master person on earth. He is ruling. I think he took the pay from Joseph Stalin. By manipulating international, he deceived the U.S., He deceived the UN, he deceived African Union, and even he deceived the Igor. At the moment we're speaking, he will sign peace and he will not implement peace. He will sign another peace, he will not implement peace. To a point he went, where even the Pope called him. And Pope went and washed his feet and kissed his feet to go back and implement the peace agreement. What did he do? He went back and he talked about this agreement, it is not a Bible. This agreement, it is not a grant, cannot be impl- implemented. It's very complicated. Why nobody asking him? What you see today, and you didn't see that at the time when you signed this agreement, your team was there to ratify that agreement, and now you're turning on us. This is the third time, the third agreement, salvaki is refused. And we're looking at him, my fellow human being. Right. There is no peace will be to the people of Southern Sudan as long as that man is sitting on them.
4: Well, Simon, we're going to continue to uh, keep our focus uh, on this issue. Uh, I can assure you of that. Uh, I was a participant in a... um, African-American media roundtable a couple of days ago with United States senators. Joe Madison was very specific in asking uh, and challenging those senators with regards to what's happening in South Sudan, what's happening in Ethiopia, what's happening in Cameroon as well. Uh, And so I assure you we're going to continue doing that. Uh, We thank you uh, for uh, your involvement. Before you leave, I want to say
1: something. Go ahead. You know, there is a double standard in the world. When the crime happens in the black country in the continent, We don't see because they're so far away. They are black. We do not see them. If Elsewhere, we will be there, unfortunately. But I'm appealing to my brothers and sisters. Please, the world becomes very small. I, as Simon, as a former slave, I never thought I would be talking to you today. But I'm blessed. That's why I'm here as the voice of those who have no voice at home. Thank you.
4: Simon, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you, thank you, buddy. All right, folks, uh, going to a break. We come back, we talk about um, how your money, your your taxpayer money, you know, that was supposed to be used for COVID relief, why in the hell have been cities just using it for police departments? That, that kind of makes no sense. Okay, we're going to talk about it next. Uh, don't forget, download the Black Star Network app, folks. Uh, all of the platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, Xbox One, Samsung, Smart TV as well. YouTube, folks, y'all are slow Hit the like button. I told y'all I shouldn't have to be asking y'all this. Uh, we should easily be at 1,000 likes on YouTube. Uh, be sure to hit that like button and don't forget, if y'all want to support us, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Uh, your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do to cover the news the way we do it. Independent, I tell you we ain't got no billionaires and millionaires sending us checks uh, and so you matter and so p.o box 57196 washington dc two zero zero three seven cash app dollar sign rm unfiltered paypal r martin unfiltered venmo is rm unfiltered zell is rolling at rolandsmartin.com and i told y'all don't forget uh these thieves right here trying to steal your money on cash app i want y'all to report every single one of them these six people they are trying to steal your money and so i'm showing y'all all all their names right now report every single one of them uh cash app did email me back today they are investigating i'm trying to get every single one of these uh thieves shut down uh, for trying to steal your dollars folks i'll be right back
9: on the next a balanced life as we grind down to the end of another long winter It's easy to slip out of balance and into the foggy doldrums. On the next A Balanced Life, ways to push through the gray days until the warm days of spring arrive. Join me, Dr. Jackie, on A Balanced Life on
10: Black Star Network.
1: We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network.
4: All right, folks, independent journalist Brian Delano wrote the piece called It's a Money Grab, Billions in COVID Relief Going to Fund Police in prisons. He follows the money right into the hands of law enforcement. What the hell? He joins me now from Urbana, Illinois. Brian, glad to have you here. Um, I-, I remember seeing the story where the mayor of Chicago said that, oh, you know, t- things are just so tough for police officers and they're just going through so much. And so we're going to use this money to create. A well a wellness opportunity for them and and all of that uh and but but walk folks through how crazy money that was supposed to be for residents fighting COVID, were funding cops and prisons
11: that's right roland thanks for having me on it's no april fool's joke there's millions and billions of dollars being spent on police and chicago is some 281 million dollars that's like 45 percent of the city budget is being spent to fund the Chicago police, which, as you know, have a notorious history of brutality in the Black community in Chicago. Um, this is happening in L.A. as well. In L.A., um, there's some 300-plus million that was given out to the LAPD. Um, you know, no no shortage of police scandals there either. So um, it's a big handout here that uh, is going out to police. and. As you noted, it's quite ironic. Um, this is money that's set aside to help communities, small businesses, um, impacted communities. You know, uh, the Black community was uh, really torn apart um, in, in some places. Like 40% of deaths in the early stages of COVID, 40% of deaths were in the Black community. So, um, I talked to activists. They believe that 40% of COVID money should go back to the communities and not to the police.
4: See, this this is the thing that happens in America. Uh, All of these people whining and complaining about defund the police when we're talking about resources. And and I swear, I I ain't never heard a police department say, y'all know what? We got enough money. We good. Y'all have given us enough money. It's always more, 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 more. It's always the answer to everything. But then anything else in the city, it's, hey, sorry, we ain't got it. We We out.
11: That's right. And so um, there's a real chance now, I think, for activists in the community to uh, struggle over this money, uh, to fight over the money. You know, I really appreciated your segment on, on Kansas City. You know, I'm from Kansas myself. So I know the Kansas City police, um, and there's a large significant black community there, historic black community. And uh, I was just digging up the numbers there. They have some $260 million allocated in the recent two, uh, uh, 2022-23 budget. $269 million are allocated to the police. Um, a, a chunk of that is coming out of ARPA funds. Um, this often gets hidden under uh, personnel, um, but this is uh, these are handouts to the police, to recruiting to police uh, for overtime. Um, and, and and this is a fattening already fat budgets, as you know.
4: Uh, questions uh, from my panelists, uh, Matt, you're first.
7: And it was fantastic. Uh, what I wanted to ask you was, um, how are these police departments and prisons getting this money that is intended for COVID relief? How are they going about doing that? I'm assuming it's through a grant process, but what are they having to claim justifies them getting money that is obviously earmarked for COVID relief, number one. And by contrast with that, how are other communities that are using it to beef up mental health resources and some of the alternatives to policing, how are they getting the money in those instances?
11: Yeah, right. Thanks. So It's, it's a two-part piece here. Um, like, in Alabama, they just, they're just using the money. <laughs> they got the money, so... Uh, in Alabama, they're planning on spending $400 uh, million dollars on three new prisons. That's a prison project that the governor has been stumping for for several years now. Um, and now that there's this big influx of cash due to uh, COVID relief federal funding, they're pushing through on uh, funding these new prisons. I talked to activists on the ground and um, its folks with the Alabama Justice Initiative. That's Latanya Tate. And I talked to Veronica Johnson for my article. And um, they fought it. They went around to the small towns in Alabama and fought the prison proposal and and stopped it. And yet, still, the state and the governor is going through with their plans. Um, They appealed to the U.S. Treasury Department. The Treasury Department came out and said, you can't use the money on prisons. And the governor is still moving forward. Um, so far, at least, the Biden administration has not uh, stepped in to intervene in Alabama. Um, so this potentially gives a green light to all other states, jurisdictions, to use this money pretty much willy-nilly, however they want to. Um, now, there are some cases um, where you know, there are smaller amounts of money that people are struggling, fighting for. Um, I uh, talked to people in South Bend, Indiana, who are... Who are using millions of dollars to open up uh, a a crisis center that uh, police, instead of taking people to jail, they'll be able to take people to this crisis center. So um, there are ways in my own community. I live in Illinois, in Urbana-Champaign, Illinois. We have a reentry program here. They got around a million dollars from the local city government uh, in order to support a reentry program. Um, That's a a program that's in, in great need here in Illinois. Um, so there are ways in which people are struggling to get the money back. I really like to, in my journalism, like to highlight um, people on the ground who are really fighting the good fight to try to get the money in the right hands. Um, but it's it's going to be a fight everywhere. Kelly?
8: Yeah. How is this not fraud? How are these entities able to do this? Because, um, and I'm sure you recall, there was, like, what felt like a campaign against people who uh, misappropriated PPP loan money, you know, and and disguised themselves as LLCs and other, you know, corporate entities trying to get loan money from the government during COVID-19. And it just felt like people were, like the chickens were coming home to roost and all of that money was getting grabbed back to the government and they were being jailed. So how are you able to, as a government, um, a misappropriate funds on an application that is what I'm assuming to be quite uh, specific as regarding how how to spend it. How is this not fraud?
11: Yeah well, the federal government hasn't really stepped in to um, provide any kind of discretionary measures uh, to prevent this. you know so budgets they're just putting this under some personnel costs, um, a general fund, um, and it's, it's, it's starting to come out. It's coming out bit by bit about what this money's being spent on. So um, there was just another story that came out this week that several uh, departments are using this to purchase pol- police drones um, and other police technology, like uh, automated license plate readers. Um, and even uh, President Biden has promoted these uh, shot spotters. They're supposed to detect gunshots. And um, they're, they're highly flawed technology. But, uh, you know, we have to question the Biden administration. Um, we know the Biden, uh, back in the 90s, uh, supported the crime bill, was the architect of the crime bill. Um, and so, I, you know, I think many activists um, saw this coming and are quite disappointed, um, but maybe not surprised that this is all allowed to go on under the Biden administration. MICHAEL
2: All right, Brian. Hey, thanks for uh, writing this article and uh, coming to share this information with us today. So one of the—I have a lot of questions, but one of the questions that I have is, what has been the response from members of Congress, especially Democrats in Congress? But you you have Republicans that represent, you know, Alabama as well, but especially Democrats, because no Republicans voted for the American Rescue Plan, even though it benefited a lot of people in America, a lot of Republicans, no Republicans voted for it. So what has been the response from— Members of Congress, especially Democrats, in how this money is apparently being misused for police departments?
11: Well, it's mostly widespread denial, I think. Um, you know, Biden has come out in the State of Union address uh, claiming mm-hmm. that uh, he's proposing another $30 billion for police. And against claims, uh, you know, in campaigns over the last uh, two years that the call to defund the police. Um, the Democrats have done a 180, and uh, after, you know, kneeling with Kente Klaus after George Floyd was killed um, by Minneapolis police, um, now they're going around saying, we, you know, we don't need to defund the police, we need to fund the police, and uh, they're allocating billions for it, and they're lining up behind uh, a Biden and other candidates for the midterms. So the Democrats have really turned the, their back on uh, advocates in the streets who have been calling for police reform. Uh, keep in mind here, these are, you know, in L.A. and in Chicago and in, in, in Kansas City, police budgets make up uh, 40, 50 percent of the total city budget. So when we talk about defunding the police, we're talking about reducing these huge budgets for the police. Um, and, and uh, you know, while there's some people have taken first steps, um, in, in most all cities, uh, there's been very little progress made. Um, and by Democratic and Republican Party leadership, um, there's been really no advocacy for, for what's going on in the streets. I mean, we have another summer summer coming up here in 2022. Are there going to be more uh, police killings of Black youth? Um, we likely to see it again. And we're just going to keep playing out this narrative and keep watching these videos until there, there's some real change.
4: All right, then. Um... Man, it uh, again, uh, you're right. Look, what you have, Democrats is trying to respond. Oh, midterm elections, they're freaking out. Conservatives are hitting them, talking about the whole crime is skyrocketing, uh, and they're just racing to throw more money uh, at the cops. But it's not, again, being spent properly and wisely. And so uh, we'll keep the pressure going on. Great reporting there. But folks, uh, go to—pull uh, it up, please. Go to the theappeal.org, theappeal.org. Uh, we've, uh, uh, of course, uh, we've had several of their stories up before. They do some great work uh, covering the critical issues dealing with, um, again, criminal justice reform, um, what's happening out there, uh, protesting as well. So, theappeal.org. Thanks a lot.
11: Thank
4: you, Roland. All right, folks, going to a break. We come back. Our Black and Missing, some breaking news involving Will Smith. Will Packer speaks exclusively to Good Morning America. We'll show you that. And also, uh, you'll hear from Dr. Cecilia Rouse, the top economic advisor, President uh, Joe Biden. She talks about the great job numbers, the report that came out today. Folks, a lot more here. And, yes, y'all heard me last night. Y'all know I made it to the new edition of Charlie Wilson concert last night. No ticket, but I am Uncle Roro.
10: <laughs> ah!
4: We'll be back in a moment. 10, yeah.
5: And you don't come out till you die. And you eat him, you eat him. Yeah. Oh my God.
2: chair take your seat the black tape with me dr greg carr here on the black star network every week we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in join the conversation only on the black star network
9: on the next a balanced life as we grind down to the end of another long winter it's easy to slip out of balance and into the foggy doldrums. On the next A Balanced Life, ways to push through the gray days until the warm days of spring arrive. Join me, Dr. Jackie, on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network.
4: All right, folks, uh, uh, Black and Missy, y'all. Kennedy Guillory, uh, last seen in Lake Charles, Louisiana on January 30th. January 30th. The 16-year-old is 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighs 120 pounds with brown hair, brown eyes. Anyone with information on Kennedy Guillory's uh, whereabouts, please call the Lake Charles, Louisiana uh, Police Department at 337-491-1311. 337 337- 491 1311. All right, folks, uh, some breaking news here. Uh, just in, uh, Will Smith uh, has resigned from the Academy of Motion Picture, Picture Arts and Sciences uh, as a result of uh, him slapping Chris Rock uh, Sunday uh, at the uh, Academy Awards. Of course, uh, the Academy, uh, they have uh, launched an investigation, uh, and as a result, uh, they have done this. This is the statement uh, that Will Smith uh, has uh, released um, um, as a result of this. Uh, give me a second. I'm just going to go in and try to see if I can uh, share this screen. Just give me one second, folks. I want to show you this. Uh, this is I'm reading from a story uh, in Variety as they talk about, uh, as they have the Will Smith uh, story here. Um, he says... Uh, the list of those I have hurt in, is long and includes Chris, his family, many of my dear friends and loved ones, all those in attendance and global audiences at home. I betrayed the trust of the Academy. I deprived other nominees and winners of their opportunity to celebrate and be celebrated for their extraordinary work. I am heartbroken. That is the, uh, and then it says, uh, Smith also acknowledged. And his actions overshadowed other winners uh, the, uh, at the 94th annual Academy Awards. Uh, I want to put the focus back on those who deserve attention for their achievements and allow the Academy to get back to the incredible work it does to support creativity and artistry in film. Uh, it's included. Uh, he stated, concluding with, "Change. Change takes time. And I'm committed to doing the work to ensure I never again allow violence to overtake reason." Uh, Now, today uh, on Good Morning America, an exclusive interview with T.J. Holmes, uh, Oscar producer Will Packer uh, sat down uh, and um, shared his thoughts on what happened uh, on Sunday night. Uh, Here is some of what he said. I said, watch this. He's going to kill.
10: Because I knew he had an amazing lineup of jokes that we had. We had them in the prompter. And ultimately, he did not get to one joke. He didn't tell one of the planned jokes. He was just immediately freestyling. But I tell you, if there's anybody that you don't worry about going out in front of a live audience and riffing off the cuff, it's Chris Rock. Nobody's better. And I thought this was part of something that Chris and Will were doing on their own. I thought it was a bit. I thought it was a bit like everybody else. I Not knew we had practiced it. Not concerned. I wasn't concerned at all. As he's walking. I figured, okay, you know, He's gonna say something or come at him. Something funny is gonna happen because that's the nature of Chris and that's the nature of Will. So, let's see what happens. Once I saw Will yelling at the stage with such vitriol, my heart dropped. And I just remember thinking, oh no, oh no. Not like this. And Chris was keeping his head when everybody else was losing theirs. And then, you know, gave the quote.
2: That was
7: a... Greatest night in the history of television. Okay.
10: But my heart okay. at that point was just in my stomach because of everything about it and what it represented and what it looked like and who was involved. All of that was just... Um, I-, I never felt so immediately devastated. Like The I- LAPD made it clear we will do whatever you want us to do and one of the options is that we will go and arrest him right now. They were saying, you know, this is battery was the word they used in that moment. They said, uh, we will go get him. We are prepared. We're prepared to get him right now. You can press charges. We can arrest him. You have, they were laying out the options. And as they were talking, Chris was, he was being very dismissive of those options. He was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. He was like, no, no, no. And, even to the point where I said, I said, Rock, let him, let him finish. The other officers finished laying out what his options were. And, um, and they said, you know, would you like us to take any action? And he said, no. Shayla told me that they were about to physically remove Will Smith. And I had not been a part of those conversations. And so I immediately went to the Academy leadership that was on site, and I said, Chris Rock doesn't want that. I said, Rock has made it clear that he does not want to make a bad situation worse. That was Chris's energy. His tone was not retaliatory, his tone was not aggressive and angry, and so I was advocating what Rock wanted in that time, which was, not to physically remove Will Smith at that time because as it has now been explained to me that was the only option at that point it has been explained to me that there was a conversation that I was not a part of to ask him to voluntarily leave I probably have a different perspective on that TJ because I'm I'm, I was in the room and I know a lot of those people and so it wasn't like this was somebody they didn't know. It doesn't make anything that he did right. It doesn't excuse that behavior at all. But I think that the people in that room who stood up, stood up for somebody who they knew, right? Who was a peer, who was a friend, who was a brother, who has a three decades plus long career of being the opposite of what we saw in that moment. I think these people saw the person that they know and were hoping that somehow, some way, this was an aberration. He's going to stand on stage and maybe Chris Rock comes from the back and says, ah, we got you all. You know, um, I, I, I don't think that these were people that were applauding anything at all about that moment. And all these people saw their friend at his absolute worst moment and we're hoping that they could encourage him and lift him up and that he would somehow try to make it better
4: Uh, I mean this is (sighs) today is Friday today is Friday hey Kelly what I said on Monday what I said on Monday I said, I hope Will meets with Chris face-to-face on Tuesday, by Tuesday, to personally apologize. I said, otherwise, I know what's about to happen. This is going to be a constant media firestorm. The thing that I am... Always try to tell people, it's like, yo, I've been in this news business my entire life. And every action, everything that happens, if another thing happens, it's another news cycle. Mm-hmm. And so Monday's news cycle was, was the slap, Tuesday's news cycle was the apology. Wednesday's news cycle was the Academy saying they asked him to leave. We knew they were lying. (coughs) Then we saw the other stories. And then Thursday. So now here we are Friday. And now there's the investigation. And then now the members of the Academy are hot because apparently on Tuesday there was a six-minute Zoom between Will and the president and the CEO of the Academy or the chair, and they didn't tell anybody. It's back and forth. uh, Again, this this is the thing that... Chris has his show in Boston. He speaks about a minute on the whole deal. Uh, it, it, it goes on. And people keep saying, like, the matter of fact, I, I, I that was a um, um, that was a tweet from Quest Love where he was like, can we end this? It ain't gonna end. It's the, I mean it's 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 not going to end until literally they finish their investigation and you have uh, some resolution if you will uh to what's going on kelly go ahead
8: like Questlove, i am tired of talking about this situation but it is in the news cycle so we're gonna do it um this entire situation is just unfortunate um but most importantly not even because Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, but this might have been one of, if not the most Black-oriented Oscar ceremony we've ever had in its 94-year history, and no one's gonna remember anything except these two Black men acting a fool on stage. Really, one Black man acting a fool on stage, and another Black man receiving said foolery. That is the most unfortunate part about all of it. It is sad, and it is disgraceful in that regard. And I don't mean disgraceful in the sense that, you know, oh, it made Black people look bad. I'm not into the respectability politics of it all. I'm really into the fact that this one moment stole so many other amazing moments that night. Regina Hall and Wanda Sykes on the same stage doing what they do best. No one's going to remember that. Quest love winning an Oscar for his documentary that, by all accounts, is absolutely phenomenal. No one's going to remember that. The first uh, openly queer Afro-Latina won an Oscar that night. No one even knows that. All we are talking about is Will Smith and Chris Rock. And it is, it is infuriating to me that so many people's moments were stolen because of one man's stupidity. That is just so unfortunate to me. And just wrong.
4: Um, this is the tweet uh, that Questlove sent out uh, this morning. This morning, can we finally stop talking about it? I- here's the deal. Th- the mm-hmm. reality, Michael, is that people are not. And this is, th- this is the thing that I-, I-, I kept trying to explain to people. I mean the level of energy when you're talking about two of the biggest names in entertainment. I mean, Chris Rock is literally embarking on a world tour with Kevin Hart. Mm -hmm. Two comic legends. The two biggest in comedy right now on a tour together around the world. Sold out shows around the world. Then you have the biggest movie star folks listen to me the acting chops of denzel phenomenal denzel cannot touch the box office and mass appeal of will smith rapper tv show big screen star will's got stuff on national geographic he's doing stuff with youtube all of that Those forces collide on a show that is seen in 100-plus countries worldwide. Folks are going to keep talking about it. And then every action. Again, the apology, story. Academy investigation, story. Will's interview, story. Will Packers' interview, story. His resignation, story. Jada's tweet about healing, story. It is the nature of where we are. It's a, it's a huge story, Roland. It's
2: a tragedy. I started covering this Monday night on the African History Network show. I didn't deal with the Tuesday. I dealt with the Wednesday and Thursday. Um, we know that a formal review was launched by the Academy on Monday. Uh, I think we, you know Will Smith uh, there was a re- there was a report from either New York Daily News or New York Post. I've read so many articles that said that Will Smith has been on edge the past few months because of stories in the media about he and Jada's relationship, okay? And with, um, you know, I was... I I watched it... um, I I watched Will's acceptance speech live when I got finished doing my show Sunday night. I watched it live. And I was hoping that he would apologize to Chris Rock in the acceptance speech, and he did not. And I was... uh, And um, even though he put out an apology on... I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. He put out an apology on Instagram. Um, He has not talk to Chris Rock in person or over the phone or something like that to apologize. So um, it was a fantastic interview that Will Packer did this morning. It helped to, I think, clear up some misinformation that's been floating around on social media. Uh, I wish he had uh, done the interview here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, but he did it on Good Morning America. Uh, Also, in that interview, I didn't hear anything in that interview that said the Academy lied either. You know, there's so there's, um, there's there, there from, from the reporting that I, that I've read, and I read numerous articles on this. There was one group of leaders in the academy that wanted Will Smith to lead leave. There was another group that didn't want him to leave, and they're arguing back and forth, and they're arguing with Will's representatives also. So, you know, uh, this is um, really an example of how even at even someone who has what. Many people think they want to have the, the wealth, the, uh, the
4: Academy Award, the success, <laughs> more money, more problems. <clears throat> you yeah. still got problems. Oh? Well, it's that, so, and it's not, it's just, hopefully. yeah, and that's the thing that people don't quite un- don't understand, don't get. Um, you know, the, the, the thing here, give me, give me a second, because uh, I actually um, found the actual full statement. Um, uh, what he said was that uh, just don't, do not pull it up, please uh i'm trying to remove this um this uh email from the top so just hold on okay there we go um here we go here uh first of all he said i have directly responded to the academy's disciplinary hearing notice and i will fully accept any and all consequences for my conduct my actions but the 94th Academy Awards presentation was shocking, painful, and inexcusable. And then that's when he goes on to say, uh, the list of uh, those I've hurt is long and, inc- and includes Chris, his family, many of my dear friends and loved ones, all those in attendance and in global audiences at home. I betrayed the trust of the Academy. I deprived other nominees and winners of their opportunity to celebrate and be celebrated for the extraordinary work. I am heartbroken. I want to put the focus back on those who deserve attention for the achievements and allow the Academy to get back to the incredible work it does to support creativity and artistry and film. So I am resigning from membership in the Academy of Motion, Pictures, Arts, and Sciences and will accept any further consequences the board deems appropriate. Change takes time, and I am committed to doing the work to ensure that I never again allow violence to overtake reason. Matt, uh, here's thing: people are already asking. No, this does not mean that Will Smith can't act. No, you don't have to actually be a member of the Academy to be able uh, to act. What it means is he is not a voting member of the Academy uh, when it comes to uh, the folks, uh, when it comes to not fo- for the Oscars, what it also means is, depending upon what the board decides, he's still eligible to be nominated for awards in the future. Uh, but, um, but, 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 but the reality here, Matt, and I got people who are saying, well, uh, you know, why are you still talking about it? Because the reality is, it is still news. It is, it is still a news story. So whether whether we like it or not, it is still a news story. That's what it is, Matt.
7: It's a news story. It's a news story involving two of the biggest entertainers in the world, as you said. And I think it's a news story that sheds a light on some of the things that we talk about here, including criminal justice. I'm a big Will Smith fan. I always have been. But the reality is, he committed a a crime in front of millions of people and was not arrested. The fact that LAPD went and asked whether they wanted him arrested is crazy if you think about it, because people get arrested all the time for things that are on video and police develop probable cause days later and go hook them up. So I don't say that to make an indictment of Will Smith as much as I say it to say, this is an an interesting situation and a situation that is obviously news because of who's involved, but it's also a situation that shows that, kind of to Michael's point, you know, everything that glitters ain't gold, but the reality is this doesn't happen to an average person. If you went up to somebody and slapped them at their job on a surveillance video, wherever you are, the police are coming and hooking you up. They didn't hook up Will Smith because he's Will Smith. And I don't know what you take from that, but that's what I think contributes to the fact that this is going to be a major news story because
4: it involves such major people. So let me also say this, and this is the last thing I'm going to say on this before I go to my next story, uh, and that is I've got a couple of more stories before we end the show. Um, some of y'all in the chat saying, uh, well, I'm tapping out uh, till you cover some real news. First, we've been covering real news. First, we've been covering real news all day. Uh, The reality is, it is breaking news. Uh, Others are saying that, well, uh, Roland, uh, you shouldn't be covering this. Here's why y'all are wrong. The reason you're wrong is because, see, if we don't cover this, go to seven, if we don't cover this, then the voices that you are going to hear framing this, largely don't look like me. Mm -hmm. And then the voices that you hear framing this and discussing this, those individuals, then they get to control what the narrative is. Now, see, I know some of y'all are sitting here uh, saying, well, um, you know, I I hear you, I hear you. But guess what, y'all? The viewer count... On our YouTube page has increased since we started this story. Mm hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just want y'all to understand. Monday, we had nearly 10,000 live viewers on YouTube alone because they want to hear this story. And we discussed it in the first hour. The moment I went to a break mm-hmm. on Monday, we lost 3,000 viewers between going to break and coming back from break to begin our second hour. So, one, you gotta understand that. But here's also why I need you to understand why perspectives matter. And that is the same segment that we did on Monday, breaking down what we call the deconstruction of what happened. We then posted that video uh, the next day on our YouTube channel. And I looked up the stats earlier. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna see if I can pull it up right now. Here it is. I want y'all to uh, look at, pu- pu- you should be able to pull this up. It says, this video, is appealing to a wider audience, contributing to 73% more views than usual. That deconstruction video that we did, where we offered a sound, reasonable, thoughtful discussion on what happened, it has gotten 56,849 views since published. Now, first of all, it's actually more than that. But it says that, in terms of referrals, but it says your videos typically receive 8,000 to 32,000 in the same time frame. It's gotten 38,662 recommendations. That particular video, y'all, last I checked, has received, uh, let's see here, 1.3 million views. 1.3 million views views. And so that's important, Begin because if we, as black-owned media, if we are not establishing the framework of the conversation, somebody else is. Right. And so I am willing, y'all can talk all you want to, but I am willing to keep talking about it as long as we are framing it properly, even the segment I did last night where I talked about don't fall for the okey-doke, Team Will and Team Chris, that's already exceeded 100,000 views. And they were, in fact, and I I, got to go ahead and do this. Yeah, I know. I I, I did not want to. I did not want to have to go. I didn't want to go this deep into this here. But, you know, I I really, it it, it bothers me when people say dumb stuff. It, It really bothers me when they say dumb stuff. Like, it actually pisses me off when they say dumb stuff. I had a state as a state official in Texas. She's a state rep. She actually had some words for me on her uh, on her Facebook page, where she thought she was calling me out. Give, give me on one. She thought she was calling me out. And, and she had the nerve to say on um, her Facebook page—and she said this here, um, sharing my comment from another thread, which said we shouldn't take sides on the issue and should be both team-willing, team-willing. No, nope, this is not Switzerland, Roland Martin. Time to pick the side of Right. We can't just say the white man or the media is the reason for this fallout. Both of these men have millions of fans of all races who care about them, but it was only Will Smith who committed the battery against another black man who was simply doing his job. Blah, 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 blah. Come back. I just want y'all to know, if you look at this here, go back, that it's Sean Theory who said that. Now, some of y'all may be looking at me saying, well, who the hell is Sean Theory. Well, this is her Twitter page. Sean Theory is a Texas state representative. She follows, me on, she follows me on Twitter. So I was sent Sean's comments, and yes, I had to respond. And this is what I said, because see, this is this putting in perspective why y'all need to understand why black media matters, black-owned media matters. I said, it's always wise for some folks to check their facts before they ever mention my name. Otherwise, I'm going to drop some CVS long receipts on you. Today, that means you, Texas Representative Theory. She posted on her Facebook page the following comments. I said, let me handle this now. And I did. I said, first, Representative Theory, I'm not Switzerland. I made my position on the Will Smith Slap very clear on Monday, link attached. That video has gotten 1.3 million views on YouTube. I also warned folks not to fall for the Academy's CYA attempt, link attached. I then said to Representative Theory, second, if you actually listened to my segment last night, I warn black folks not to fall for the spin to try and blame Will Packer for asking Will Smith to stay. Now, what I warn folks about the okey-doke is exactly what you are doing, Representative Theory. I am laying out the media games of shifting the narrative and trying to force us to pick sides. We should be Team Will and Team Chris. We should care about both. So actually, watch and listen to what I said. And if y'all scroll down here, you'll notice um, she ain't responded. I think those CBS receipts did the trick. Folks, never ever, never ever go to we should move on. If you don't understand how media has always controlled the conversation and controlled the narrative, and the media's framing of a story has the ability to shift public opinion one way or the other, no, I will not be sitting this out because I'm not going to let them Shift and control the narrative. And that's why we have Black-owned media. When we come back, we're going to talk, hear from Dr. Cecilia Rouse about the economic numbers that came out today. Then we're going to talk to the sister who's running for state superintendent in Georgia. I told y'all, down-ballot races matter. Don't go anywhere. You're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Folks,
10: Black Star Network is this. I'm real um, revolutionary right now.
6: Support this man, black media. He makes sure that our stories
4: are told. I- All right, folks, big jobs reports came out today. The federal government report shows the U.S. economy added 431,000 jobs in March. That brings the unemployment rate to a new pandemic-era low of 3.6%. The job gains were lower than the economists had expected, but they still rounded up a solid first quarter for the U.S. labor market. President Joe Biden says that job creation has been at an all-time high since he has been in office.
6: Over the course of my presidency... Our recovery has now created 7.9 million jobs. More jobs created over the first 14 months of any presidency and any term ever. And that's striking. But what's even more striking is this. In March, the unemployment rate fell to 3.6 percent, down from 6.4 percent when I took office about 15 months ago. The fastest decline in unemployment to start a president's term ever recorded. In fact, There have been only three months in the last 50 years where the uh, unemployment rate in America is lower than it is now.
4: All right. The U.S. economy is now just 1.6 million jobs short of where it was in February of 2020 before the pandemic hit. Uh, Earlier today, I talked to Dr. Cecilia Rouse, the chair of the President's Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, Here is what she had to say about today's jobs report and the state of the U.S. economy this is Dr. Cecilia Rouse, um, big Friday uh, for the economy, for the White House, surely, uh, as the top economic uh, voice uh, for the president. Um, you must have, feel pretty good today.
3: Well, today was a day when we got the jobs report and it was a good day because it reaffirmed the strength that we believe we were seeing in the. US economy where since we learned that in March, the economy created an additional 400,000 jobs, which means that over the last three months, we've created over half a million jobs per month. Uh, so that you know this has been a very strong economy, largely thanks to the American Rescue Plan, the effectiveness of our management of the pandemic, supporting households, supporting businesses, and we, it reflects that we've got a resilient economy that is positioned to weather the shocks that may come in the future.
4: Uh, it, it's been very interesting as I've been, as we've been looking at, um, you know, how this has been unfolding and um, and it's not just the job reports that come out, when we also have uh, the adjustments made uh, when it comes to the job reports. I remember uh, last year, I, remember, I guess it was November and December, and folks were like, oh my God, this report is so awful. And I was sitting there going, you yeah, I might want to breathe, and then two months later, then it it, it was adjusted. Uh, And so uh, talk, just share with people why it's important for some folks to pump the brakes uh, on the initial numbers and understand that uh, that's just, again, the, the initial, things also change as you get more data
3: absolutely so i won't go even further than that so at the council of economic advisors we say every month well we we study every month and we think about every month and under try to understand what's happening in any one month we don't like to focus on one month for that reason which is that these data are the initial read there will be a revision to these data for example the bureau of labor statistics has, has added up they look back on january february and combined in those two months. They've said actually the economy added an additional 95,000 jobs in those two months. So the Bureau of label statistics, they said when they briefed us yesterday that the response rate, they don't have all of their data in yet. They will have additional data that they will have in. They will revise upward or downward, but they will revise their estimate uh, next month as well and the, and the month after. In addition, these are are estimates of the economy, and so they use techniques to try to understand what is happening that's usual or not unusual in any one month. And what you're referring to is that in January, they did a whole look back on how they benchmark and how they do adjustments for population because they had the new census, and they made some adjustments to their estimates going back over all of 2021 as well. So we, what we like to look at are trends, and what we can say, see in this labor market is that the trends have been solid. Uh, over the course of the past year, the, this economy has added 7.9 million jobs. That's in the 14 months since the, the president took office. We've seen a robust improvement in the labor force participation rate. If you want to look at Black Americans, uh, at the height of or the depths of the pandemic in May 2020, uh, the unemployment rate was 16.8 percent, and today it's down to about 6.2 percent. That's a number I don't want to focus specifically on the 6.2, but the change is dramatic and reflects the strength of this economy. I,
4: I was watching uh, a conversation take place uh, on a uh, clip that was on Fox Business, uh, and, and they were complaining that, oh my God, but you know we, we don't have enough people in the workforce, and 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 and, and these increasing wages is what's contributing to inflation. I, I I never realized that an increase in wages was bad.
3: Well, look, the, look, we fundamentally, we want to see workers being paid according to their productivity. And so, and we want families and workers to have to be paid their fair wage so they can put food on the table, pay their rent. So we welcome wage increases that are based on productivity increases and that truly reflect that the increase and what workers are contributing to the employers. Uh, uh, the reason why they're, com- they're worried about it is because wages are a component of a business's costs, And so the concern is, does it get passed on? Well, the, the wage increases we've seen to date have been in low wage workers whose wage increases have actually been higher than inflation. At the moment, it looks as though these are wage increases that reflect the supply and demand mismatch, which is part of working our way through the pandemic. We are keeping our eye on this at the moment we don't think it's being baked in in a way that's not sustainable but it is something we are quite attuned to
4: so so explain in layman's terms and i'm always trying to use my show as uh civics 101 for folks to understand where we are and even at the news conference today reporters were shouting to the president what about inflation what about inflation uh, and, and and just give folks an understanding of really why we are at the point now with inflation. I have my own view and that is we had companies that were uh, that, that, that that were nailed uh, significantly e- uh, economically in 2020 and 2021. You're seeing price increases because they're trying to make up all the money that they lost. Uh, and bottom line is this year when you have us when you've had supply chain uh, demands, we still have it where you have a a robust – people want goods and services, but you don't have enough, and you're not making enough, guess what? The cost of goods are actually going to go up.
3: So, you know, look, we've seen inflation around the Mm -hmm. world, uh, and and it reflects that economies that could afford to do so, governments that could afford to do so, supported their workers and their businesses through the depths of the pandemic so that the the workers and their families and the businesses had the funds to continue to buy foods, buy goods, uh, to continue making those purchases that they felt they needed to make. At the same time, though, so we had demand was supported. At the same time, what we learned through the pandemic is that the supply was challenged. It was challenged because those very same workers who were, cons- you know, might have been affected by COVID or in China, they closed down factories. Um, We're unable to keep up with the demand. When you have a supply-demand mismatch, so you have too much demand chasing the the limited supply, as you pointed out, you're going to have price increases. Americans bought more goods than is typical. Those goods have to be shipped. They have to be built. They have to be shipped. They have to be transported over land to be put into stores or delivered to one's house. And we had record amounts going through our ports, uh, and the system couldn't quite keep up with the robust demand. That will work itself out, uh, but on top of that, we have the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And what that means is that Russia is a major supplier of gas and oil to the world, a little less so for the U.S., but for the world. So what we've seen is an increase in gas prices and in oil prices, and that not only is affecting prices at the pump, but it's finding its way into other goods as well. So that price increases, the president is focused on. He is trying to that's why he did the release of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve yesterday to try to get more um, oil supply onto the global market. Uh, but fundamentally, it is the pandemic and now it is the war that are, that's underlying this inflation.
4: So um, the, the, the next step here, and that is when you look at these economic numbers, when you look at these job numbers, look, they're supposed to be good, but when you look at poll numbers, uh, they are down. Uh, I know you're all about the numbers, uh, but the messaging of what has happened with the economy is also important. So h- what is that conversation taking place in the White House on how do you convey this to the American people, what's going on? Because what, what I'm seeing in numbers, in poll numbers, is completely different than when you la- look at what's actually happening with the economic numbers.
3: You know, it's been a really hard two years, Roland, and we, the president gets it. He is so thrilled that Americans are back to work. We have an economy that's on the move. uh, And and that's been so important to him. We know we're not done yet. There's still work to be done. Uh, We're still about, um, uh, about 93% of the jobs that we lost in the course of the pandemic have been uh, regained. uh, But there's still, and there's still people who are out of the labor force who who were working before. So we know that there is still work to be done, uh, but he is thrilled that those who want to work are able to get a job. He gets it. This has been hard, and inflation hits families in their pocketbooks. It's no fun when you go to the grocery store and the price of a gallon of milk or a pound of hamburger or the price of a gallon of gas at the pump is more than your ones used to paying. Which is why he is focused on addressing the supply chains, try to low, trying to lower costs for families through his economic policies, uh, and trying to address the prices at the pump. So, it, you know, I think it's been a hard two years, but the good news is if we continue to manage this pandemic. Uh, we will get to the other side of it and and, and re- resume our normal lives.
4: All right. Dr. Cecilia Rouse, Rouse, always good to see you. Uh, thanks a bunch for breaking it all down for us.
3: It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
4: Just so y'all know, again, the top economic person is a sister. Dr. Cecilia Rouse is a brilliant sister. She also was one of the economic advisors on the President Barack Obama, but she is the chief uh, economic advisor. All right, y'all, going to a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk about an important race in Georgia. Uh, my next guest is running for a school, statewide school s- superintendent. Y'all, I keep telling you, Congress, President, all this stuff is important, but who controls our schools is also important. You're watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
5: I'm Deborah Owens. On the next Get Wealthy, meet Dr. Stacy McCoy whose American dream became a nightmare because of student loan debt. Whether you're paying $300 a month or eventually I got up to $1,700 a month. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold that that for just a minute. You were paying $1,700 a month on your student loans. Yes, and I know other people who are paying more than that. Learn the one piece of advice that made all of it go away right here on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network.
4: All right, folks. Uh, Every election matters. Every single one about the state school superintendent. Not necessarily for a lot of people, a sexy race, but when it comes to who controls what's happening in our schools, it doesn't matter. We often talk about Tennessee and Texas and others trying to change textbooks. Education is one of the top targets. We saw that last year in Virginia, when they begin to target school boards of a critical race theory. We can go on and on and on. In Georgia, five candidates, they're running to unseat the incumbent, Richard Woods for state superintendent. Alicia Thomas Searcy is one of them. She joins me now from Atlanta. Alicia, glad to have you here. Uh, you have you. been very much involved in education, working in the charter school space uh, and others. Uh, just walk people through who have no idea what a state school superintendent does.
9: Thank you for having me on, Roland. Um, And and thank you for saying, first and foremost, how important this race is. The state school superintendent is responsible for managing the State Department of Education and letting laying out all of the rules uh, from the uh, State Board of Education. And so, as you also may remember, I'm a state former state legislator. I served in the Georgia House of Representatives for 12 years. Uh, And when I passed laws, that were related to education, the Department of Education and the state board had to promulgate rules that then were pushed out to the schools to have to implement. So the state superintendent is one of the most critical roles in education, because they are leading the state schools. They're helping to set policy. Uh, And even more important than that, when the policies and laws are passed, they're responsible for setting those rules and giving guidance to those school districts.
4: And, and so, um, obviously, Georgia, red, someone purple state. Uh, this is going to be a huge election. Obviously, Senator Raphael Warnock trying to get reelected. You've got Republicans who are trying to rally behind Herschel Walker. You've got Stacey Abrams who's going to be running, for gov- running against like, whoever wins, likely Brian Kemp. There's going to be a lot of interest and also, those two could have significant coattails uh, that could uh, help you uh, or one of the candidates. Now, first off, there are five folks who are running is there a primary or is there or is there an open uh open run
9: yes there's a primary on may 24th for both parties and of course whoever wins the primary uh faces
4: the other party in the general in november so um and so are there any other african americans who are running for state school superintendent yes i am the only black woman however okay all right then uh, and so it's going to be uh, a lot of the teachers going to be on Georgia and we expect a massive turnout in the state.
9: Yes. And you're right. When you talk about my Spellman sister, Stacey Abrams, my Morehouse brother, Raphael Warnock, uh, they're going to lead the ticket and I frankly think lead the state. Um, but it's going to get a lot of interest. People care a lot about Georgia. And as we know, uh, the balance of the U.S. Senate Uh, hangs with Georgia, right? So, who wins this U.S. Senate election matters. And every other policy at the federal level matters based on who wins in Georgia. And so the the, race—the stakes are extremely high. And, Roland, I would argue that, when when it comes to education in the state of Georgia and, frankly, around the country, uh, education ought to be right up there. Uh, Families around this country and, obviously, in Georgia are talking about what they want in our education system. And we still have fights here. Today, we had the legislature pass three bills. Uh, You talked about Virginia. There's a playbook happening in this country, and Republicans are playing it. Uh, And so they're trying to ban certain types of books, uh, ban the type of conversations you can have about race in classrooms, Um, the Parents' Bill of Rights, that if you actually read the bill, it sounds like it's going to be a big deal, but it's frankly just reinstating all of the rights that parents already have. But Republicans have figured out that if we engage parents, if we talk about how they need to be uh, empowered and they need to have more decision-making in classrooms and what's being taught, then they get fired up. And so Republicans have learned that and they're trying to turn them out. And the key is turning out our people and making sure Uh, that the right people get in office, because it's just too important right now when we think about the quality of education or sometimes the lack thereof in too many of our schools. Uh,
4: Questions from my panelists? Let's see. I'll start with... Oh, Matt. (laughs) Well, good evening, and uh, thank you for coming on and
7: and elucidating us as to what's going on in your campaign. And the, the question I had for you is, what do you find as the primary issue facing Georgia students now... That when you get elected, you'll have to address day one. So I'm going to answer that in
9: two ways. First and foremost, I think the biggest problem is how we politicize education um, when we are dividing ourselves: who supports charters and who doesn't? Um, you know, who su- who's supposed to talk about CRT and who's not? At the end of the day, I sympathize with teachers, and I would argue that's probably one of the most critical issues. Teachers are burned out. Um, they are tired. Uh, They need mental health support. We've asked teachers to do way too much in the last couple of years without any real um, resources. I think about the fact that teachers have had to teach virtually first without any real training. Um, How it is, that in 2022, we don't provide the teachers the support that they need to learn how to teach in an age of technology is beyond me. And so I had a actually had a town hall meeting last night with teachers across the state Uh, And it was heart-wrenching to hear their frustration, their sadness, um, how disconnected they feel. They don't feel like we respect the profession anymore. And so if we don't get it right for teachers, if we don't pay attention to what they need, how are we expecting education
8: to work in our state? Uh, Let's see here. Kelly. Sure. So in that same vein, what does the ideal educational system look like for you? And how do you plan on getting the state of Georgia to reflect that plan as closely as possible?
9: That's always you know, the, the complex question that requires a complex answer. And let me say, as a former superintendent, so I served in the legislature 12 years, uh, served as a superintendent for three years, and I can tell you what worked in the schools that I led. First and foremost, starting with having excellent school leaders. Um, All of the adults that are standing in front of our children have to have high expectations for them. I don't care if you're in a charter school, a traditional magnet, whatever it is. You have to have adults who have high expectations for kids. Time out for, well, they're poor, they have social issues, we can't teach them. No, we've got to make sure that um, those high expectations exist for all children. Secondly, we do have to acknowledge that kids are coming into our schools with some real challenges. And as much as we like to just you know, let them come in and shut the doors and say, forget what's happening out there, um, that's not the reality that we face. And so one of the things that I like uh, in Fulton County here in Georgia, there's a school that has what's called a safe center, where students who are having a bad day, as an example, can come in and get some mental health support. They have tutors in the room who also make sure that they get their work done. They have a clothing closet for their parents, so if they have a job interview and need something to wear, they have that. And then they do a food pantry on the weekend to make sure that those families have the support that they need. And so it's wraparound services. It's excellent school leaders. It's well-prepared, well-resourced, well-respected teachers, again, who are standing in front of our students. Uh, And it's a curriculum that is culturally relevant it's unbelievable to me that we are talking about what we're teaching and what we're not teaching in terms of history in this country when we ought to be talking about making sure that the curriculum that they get is culturally relevant. And then finally, I would say um, I also want to spend some time talking to stakeholders when I become state school superintendent because as I, as I uh, talked to my daughter, who's a ninth grader, uh, she was having a conversation with my mom about you know what school looked like you know, back in the day. And, as my mom described to her, essentially the same uh, educational environment that she is in in 2022, uh, I thought about the fact that, if if you were to Google what a school looked like in the 1700s, it looks exactly like it does today in 2022. And so I believe that we have to reimagine what public education looks like, because if we're trying to give a telegram education to a TikTok generation, we are sadly mistaken.
4: Uh, Michael.
2: All right, Sister Alicia, thanks for, uh, coming on today. Um, so can you talk about, in this climate of anti-critical race theory, uh, laws being passed in various states and this, uh, push, uh, and you have white parents showing up at school board meetings acting a fool over something that's not even taught in schools. Um, how does this play into the curriculums that you're going to help shape, and how history, especially history of Reconstruction, is being taught in schools in Georgia. We know Georgia is a former Confederate state. So, how how, how does all that come together under uh, a, a Alicia Thomas Searcy administration?
9: It's a great question. I think you first hit the nail on the head that CRT is not being taught in our schools. And if you ask Republicans to even define What is CRT? They cannot tell you. That's a problem. Um, So, first, it's acknowledging that this is really just a distraction. This is something out of a playbook. Uh, When politicians don't have any solutions to solve problems, they come up with distractions. And that's what this whole CRT conversation is. What concerns me, though, is the fact that there are teachers in school districts today who are fearful about teaching just the basics of American history just the basics of our state standard that does require them to talk about Reconstruction. It does require them to talk about slavery and the civil rights movement and Jim Crow, and, of course, the contributions of African Americans in our country. And so what does that mean for a state school superintendent? It's understanding what the law says. It's understanding what the process is in terms of what the State Board of Education does and the rules that they promulgate. And it's having the knowledge, the wherewithal, the wisdom, and the savviness to provide guidance for school districts so that they understand the difference between what's politics and what's necessary to teach in our classrooms. And so, as superintendent, with the background that I have, I would make sure that districts are, in fact, teaching what is in the Georgia standards, uh, which are all of those topics that we just talked about, and, frankly, moving it in the other direction, which is making sure that even more of our
4: curriculum is culturally relevant. All right, thank you. All right, then. Well, look, we appreciate it. Uh, Everybody got their questions in, right? Yeah, everybody got their questions in. All right, we appreciate it, Alicia. Uh, Good luck, and we'll certainly be watching uh, this race to see what happens there in Georgia. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. All right, thanks a bunch. Uh, All right, folks, Uh, uh, that's it for us. But before we go, uh, first of all, let me shout out to Matt. Uh, Michael Kelly for being with us Uh, man. It's a whole lot of stuff that we've covered today uh, as we always do Uh, And so I appreciate y'all being on the panel and I don't know who sent me somebody sent me this Winston-Salem Winston-Salem State uh, hoodie. I appreciate it. Uh, There was no note. There was no card in it So uh, I I have spoken to the university before uh, and so y'all know I only rock HBCU gear where I've actually visited uh, the campus, and so uh, uh, so that that's always important. Uh, let me also give a shout out my girl uh, Kim Bond, uh, Coach Kim Bond. She was one of the assistant basketball coaches uh, at. At Texas A&M, they hired somebody else uh, to actually be uh, the head basketball coach there. Uh, She sent me uh, a a text message earlier. She actually uh, hit me up uh, while we were on the air. Uh, Let me see if I can blow this up down here, all right, y'all? Because trust me, the formatting is off. Uh, And so she just got hired as the head basketball coach at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. Uh, And she said, "Look who I ran into today." Uh, while I was there, and so shout out to uh, the chancellor at Southern Illinois, Austin Lane. He's the former president at Texas Southern University. Uh, He's now the chancellor there, Uh, and so uh, a great shout out to him. Uh, I I was texting him. Uh, He's a phenomenal brother. Uh, He did a great job there. The TSU people screwed up uh, letting him leave uh, and running him away, but that's what happens. Uh, What, Matt? What's up? Can I, sh- can I shout out
7: my boy? Today, my son is 12 years old. My son, Stony. Oh. I just want to wish him happy birthday.
4: <laughs> Love you, son. Uh, happy birthday to Stoney. All right. Matt, shouting out his son, who's a future alpha. All right, then. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to, <laughs> to Austin Lane, Lauren Lane. But, again, Coach Bond, at SIU, uh, congratulations uh, to you. Uh, and let's see, uh, Kelly, you got a shout out. My, uh, Michael, you got a shout out since Matt, you know, doing shout outs. Y'all got something? My son, man. No Not shame enough. in that. I got you. I, I, I let you do it. It's all good.
8: Appreciate you, brother. Shouting out the makers of this amazing Bowie State hoodie. I, anything Bowie State I pick up, it's by Games.
4: Yes, Games. Oh, you I'll might want to know it. who the hell it's from before you read it.
8: No, I had it and then I forgot it, but it's on the it's on the shoulder. But I will post <laughs> it in my uh, Twitter so that everybody can go and get one. Right. They they already sold out. So when the next thing drops, y'all need to get
4: yours. All right, Michael, go ahead with your shout-out. Come on, you got something. Uh, I, I want to shout-out you, Roland
2: Martin, and the uh, Bring the Funk fan club for funding Black-owned media and the, the, the stories that you've covered this week, especially with uh, Black News Channel going bankrupt and being off the air. You're covering stories that mainstream media is not covering. So I want to give a shout-out to you and the Bring the Funk fan
4: club, that is financing this as well yes indeed indeed so uh absolutely so we we'll appreciate that uh and so before i tell y'all what happened last night so i, I don't know about i don't know about y'all but matt michael uh and kelly let me ask y'all this question have y'all ever experienced uh, being at a workplace and put something in the refrigerator and somebody else <laughs> oh, no. like eat or drink your stuff y'all have oh, experienced man. that yeah. Matt, did you experienced that? I might have done it if I'm honest. Might Matt, let me tell you something, dog. <laughs> let me tell you something, dog. I came, to, I came to work today. I came to work today. I had some leftover food yesterday from cheesecake factory. I had a business meeting, and so I was like, "Man, no. I said I ain't gonna eat the house. I'm gonna come in here." Oh yeah, Ariel. Oh yeah, <laughs> a- a- Ariel. Let me explain something to you, Ariel. <laughs> Everything, Ariel. Everything might come on the air. Ask Henry. Ask Henry. Oh. We were at TV One, and Henry made a comment like in the back of the studio that, I oh, you know, you couldn't you could put aluminum foil in the microwave. Now, he said he was joking. I heard it on the set, and yes, <laughs> I came back live and talked about it. He had his, he had his family members calling, how you, Petey, how you didn't know you couldn't put no aluminum foil in the microwave? So, I came in here. I said, y'all, I'm going to heat up my food. I said, I got a call of Snapple in the refrigerator. <laughs> How I, I want... I'm the disappointment. I'm talking... No, no, no. I'm talking about... Look, I felt like... I felt like Della Reese in of Nights when she was I... like... She said, what's well, the goddamn orange juice in the hash? You see I was orange juice in the hash in here? Got my, my mouth all set with some orange juice in the hash. I'm sitting here like, yo, I'm about to heat my food up, get me my cold bottle of Snapple, why walk to refrigerator? We got two refrigerators, y'all. Two refrigerators. Two refrigerators. Matter of fact, since we live right now, let me show y'all this here. I'm about to go ahead and show. Y- y'all got the camera? Follow me here, man. Follow me here. I hope it goes over here, man. I come in here. Y'all tell me if it, if, if, if the picture goes out, man. I come in here. Two refrigerators, y'all. I go to refrigerator. To the top. See the refrigerators? I go to the top. No snapper. No snapper. Now I'm sitting there like, where in the hell is my snapper? I come back, Ariel, who just started working here, she knew. <laughs> Ariel goes, Oh, I got it. My bad. <laughs> she said, I thought I put it in there. I said, Ariel. How in the hell you put something in there? You are not airing her out. Oh, my God. I said, Ariel. (laughs) I said, Ariel, how you didn't know? Put me back back on camera one. I said, Ariel, how you you didn't know? She said, no, I normally drink that, but I thought I put it in. I said, Ariel, do you remember putting it in? She was like, no. She said, oh, but it I... ain't. she goes, it ain't open yet. That's error right there. <laughs> she goes, it ain't open yet. So she walk in here with the Snapple, hot-ass bottle of Snapple. Must have been on her desk for like four, five hours. I'm sitting there thinking I got me a cold bottle of Snapple waiting on me for my lunch. Yeah, y'all, hey, you, get right, right. I was like, Aaron, are you serious? So we got a new rule now, y'all. We got two refrigerators in the kitchen. The left refrigerator, Ariel, is mine. The right refrigerator <laughs> is for the rest of y'all. If y'all refrigerator fill up, y'all go to the bottom shelves and start there and come up but leave the first two shell anything on the first two shelves is mine don't touch it i'm sounding like my daddy look don't touch (laughs) what's on the first two shelves of the refrigerator we straighten now your whole family watching now they know they told you girl how you didn't know the leak y'all she talking about oh i didn't realize I didn't. I didn't put it in there. You didn't buy it, are you? D- Man. Anyway. Okay. All right, y'all. I just had to go ahead and you know let her you know. You feel better? Yeah, I feel better. I feel <laughs> fine. Okay. I feel fine. Now, y'all, All right. Now, y'all remember last night? I remember last night. I was shocked. <laughs> Era like she's shocked right now. Uh, she like, damn, yeah, Arrow. This is a black ass show right here. This the blackest. This the blackest show you have ever. Right, you ain't never seen this on ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN. No, nah, uh, this is black. This is blackity black, black owned media. So last night, y'all, we were, we were on the show, and somebody texted me about saying, I can't believe you're not at the Joe to see Charlie Wilson New Edition concert. I was like, what? I was like, are you serious? I was like, damn. I didn't realize they were in town. So we sitting here, uh, and I was like, man, I'm texting. Y'all, I'm texting. I'm texting my boys. I'm sitting here, hitting them up, uh, hitting them up, trying to figure out. Uh, and I'm like, I, Then I tell Alex, I, hey, man, take my phone. Alex, he over there. He calling them. I'm trying to get them on the line. And so we end the show last night, and so the staff... They was sitting. I, t- I, I cussed them out because they didn't even tell me they were in town. Uh, Carol Gant, who's the supervising producer. Uh, Carol, yeah, I'm calling names. No, 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 no. Thank you very much. Carol Gant, like, oh, I ain't realized. I ain't realized uh, we we had a show. I said, Carol, I could have ran something to go to the damn concert. That's my folks. So I said, well, look, I'm gonna go ahead and just going over there. I ain't had no ticket. I ain't had nothing. But <laughs> I am the man. So uh, I just rolled up in there, told them, I said, look, uh, I'm here to see my boys. Just take me backstage. And yes, so to all of uh, the security people uh, at uh, Capitol, what, what's that called? Capitol One Arena? All y'all black. All y'all watch Rolling Martin Unfiltered. So they walked me to, to backstage. I saw my boys. And so I sent the staff the photo y'all just saw right there, me right outside Uncle Charlie's dressing room. Uh, and so I got got to see him. I got to see my boys, New Edition. We got a chance to talk. Uh, Johnny Wilson, J- John, Johnny Gill. I hollered at Serena Williams, their, their sister, sister Isha uh, Pierce last night so with the Price, with a great conversation as well. And so it was good to see everybody. Uh, man, uh, it was it was all good. And so since Carol uh, didn't tell nobody nothing, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do this, y'all. I'm going to go ahead and just, I, and look, they couldn't go. They couldn't go with me. Because, see, y'all need to understand something. When you ain't got no ticket, you don't bring two, three folks with you. I see, I know some of y'all are real black. Y'all got entourages. I know oh, Kelly. What? You know, Kelly, you probably be rolling with, like, you and, Kelly be like, hey, Roland, I, I want to swing by. How many with you, Kelly? Me plus five. Hell no. Absolutely it can't be not. six of y'all. Black women Absolutely known for that. Not. Y'all be talking about me plus five. No. Absolutely not. No, uh-uh. So I just told him. I said, look, I said, look, I, look can't nobody roll, but I, I got to guarantee one going to get in, that's me. So I got in. So Carol says, you love New Edition. Carol says she grew up in a Pentecostal house, uh, and uh, her mom and daddy let her listen to nothing but New Edition. It was New Edition, James Cleveland, and Shirley Caesar. And that's all she could listen to. And so... Uh, so I so I did this here. I shot I, I shot a little video last night uh, for Carol uh, and the crew. Hey, my bad. Y'all couldn't roll with me, but I did bring a little new new addition for y'all. So y'all go ahead uh, and experience just a little bit. Y'all, can you stand the rain? Go ahead. Go ahead. seeing Matt. Matt was over there singing. Matt was having some flashbacks to Can You said, Matt, Matt, Matt. I saw you, Matt. Matt, man, I see everything, Matt. Y'all, Matt was having some college flashback. Matt was like, oh, Matt, I, Matt, Matt was even, he was, he was, he was about to do this, y'all. Matt was about to do this. I, Matt almost did this here, y'all. He almost went, I saw you, Matt. I saw you. I saw you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, man. Oh, y'all. I'm not going to play the whole video. I want to go ahead and give y'all a little taste. If, yeah, if they come to town, they're going to be in North Carolina soon. So, y'all, man, go check out my, my man, Uncle Charlie Wilson, new edition, scene. Maxwell here tomorrow night. I'll be there. Uh, this time I got tickets. Uh, so, Max, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I call ahead. Max. So, Maxwell, Anthony Hamilton, we got that. That's it for us, y'all. Uh, I appreciate everybody being with us. Great week. Thanks for checking everything out. Uh, all the folks who've given, who give to the show, man, y'all are doing a phenomenal job. I got to go home, open all the letters the cash them checks and the money orders uh but a lot of y'all been giving online as well Uh, i'm gonna do a shout out on monday to all the people who have given in the last uh 24 hours right now we always close the show out with our bring the funk fan club i appreciate it right after the show we're gonna have our fifth part of our ghana docuseries be sure to check it out and then next week we'll be uh debuting our uh liberia coverage uh so again a lot of things happening here at black star network Y'all got to download the app. Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire Stick, uh, Xbox One, Samsung, Smart TV. That's it. All right, folks, we're about to bounce. Y'all have a great weekend. Have a great April Fool's Day. I'm going to see y'all Monday.
8: Hang in there.